Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> okay, you know what, guys? I know the opening is still playing. This is your host, Nate Wyckoff, film critic and comedian here with Colton Classic Films Podcast. I just, I have to start, I have to start in a bit of a, a, a fury because this is, uh, this is our Halloween is for Lovers pairing. Uh, and it is a cursed recording. Uh, I have had so many problems with this. Normally, you know, we do two parts. Uh, the first film being the more mainstream film and the second film being the thematically linked cult film. And we discuss them both. Uh, this is going to be one episode for both of these films, as we did in ye olden days, because we recorded an entire episode that actually wasn't recording about 1990s hit Oscar winning film Ghost starring Patrick Swayze, Whoopi Goldberg and Demi Moore. I... I am both limited, livid and feel like I knew this was coming. Much like at the beginning of the film Ghost, where successful banker Sam uh, Wheat, played by Patrick Swayze, um, had a premonition that something bad was going to happen to him to shatter all of his wonderful gains in the world. Uh, I knew something was going to go wrong with this. Here's why I knew something was going to go wrong with this. And if you haven't heard of Cursed Films, uh, the, the most famous example is probably The Exorcist. Uh, there are reports of film prints bursting into flame uh, at the theaters, uh, all people dying uh, because of, of, of seeing or screening the film, all sorts of things like that. This is a cursed film because we were supposed to record these episodes a week ago, but uh, we either forgot or couldn't. I personally could not watch Ghost. I've seen it many times, but I was going to watch it again, as is good for reviewers to do. And yet, three different files and streaming services, and I tried on three separate units. A PC, which is always works, a, uh, a Roku television, and an Android television all three would not play past the first 25 seconds of the movie. It, it stopped within that time range at different places every time. I must have tried a dozen times. Like, I kid you not. So I gave up. I said, all right, I know the movie really well. We can talk about it. And then it could. It didn't happen. It just didn't happen because people forgot. Uh, not normal. So what, what then occurred? Uh, well, we all watched it. Everything was fine. And I did not apparently hit the record button or I did not hit it well enough. And the episode was uh, beautiful. Absolutely fantastic episode. Completely uh, ethereal. No one will ever hear it. So that's Best my episode ever recorded. Yeah, uh, uh, but so not anyway, recorded. 
Right, exactly. That was going to win us um, a, a, a podcaster of the year award, all sorts of things, um, a potty, if you will. Uh, nobody calls it that. Uh, but anyway, I'm your host, film critic and comedian Nate Wyckoff. We're going to quickly, quickly, quickly talk about Ghost 1990. Then we're going to move on to uh, the cult film that we paired with it, Teen Witch from 1989. There's a lot to talk about with both of these. I'm going to cruise through it real fast. But first, I want to introduce our panelists. I have with us Jeffrey Tucker. How are you doing? Uh, great and uh, glad you're recording this time man uh, me too and <laughs> too also soon. <laughs> too soon also mandy longley how are you doing mandy good and uh, almost almost a ghost at this point yeah mandy if you're watching this uh if i have if i have successfully loaded this cursed file onto youtube as well and you can watch this uh we mandy is is not on camera she is laying down for exhaustion this is just how the episode really is coming together so uh regardless of all this rigmarole i am going to give you a Brief synopsis of ghosts. Um, it is Patrick Swayze plays a banker who has it all and he's going to marry his beautiful wife and they have this beautiful new apartment. And then he is killed by a mugger. But when he rises as a ghost and learns uh, how to do ghost things like possessing people and touching small objects, uh, he learns that his best friend Carl actually was the one who hired the mugger that killed him. And he's trying to get the dead man's bank number code, whatever it is, so he can transfer money to launder uh money for drug dealers um so in a roundabout chain of events patrick swayze as a ghost learns that uh Odame brown played by Whoopi goldberg in one of her most fantastic roles the one that really launched her acting career although she had done roles before she uh she can hear him because she's psychic even though she thought she was just a charlatan and uh she ends up helping him take all of the money uh that's belongs to the drug cartels and donate it to a nunnery which throws his uh not really friend carl into a mad psychotic uh panic at which point he threatens uh demi moore aka patrick swayze's lover's life uh everything racks suck okay in the end except for the bad guys and uh swayze ascends to heaven bad guys drug into the uh, eternal darkness of the nether realm lots of famous scenes in this movie there's the sexy uh pottery scene between patrick swayze and demi moore it is pretty sexy even now watching it i'm like oh they don't show on tnt and usa uh the the naked side view of a pantyless demi moore uh so kudos for them for keeping it sexy uh, but it also has a lot of comedy we have lots amazing great uh cast on this um we have patrick swayze who was not the first choice of director jerry zucker who did um screwball comedies primarily including airplane lethal weapon uh and we have steven root as a side character who is uh wonderful we have um as as a a, a unhinged ghost who helps uh, patrick swayze's character learn how to control or at least touch matter uh we have um I'm Vincent uh, Schiavelli, excuse me, I was reading his name, um, We have who's passed. We also have Rick um, Avias, who's passed as well as sort of a henchman and just really, really great cast. And I want to give a special shout out to Tony Goldwyn. This was his breakout role. Um, they had a lot of more well-known cast members uh, or, or actors in line for the villain, but uh, Tony Goldwyn killed the audition and he plays as i said before in the cursed recording sort of a grown-up evil michael uh sarah character 
Um, and I love Michael Sarah. I know he's an adult, but you know, this is the vibe that Tony Gildwin gives in this movie. Uh, he he's not the powerhouse, like I'm gonna take what I want. He's the middleman who kind of becomes a rabid dog when uh his life's on the line. And it is a great job. This is a fun, sexy movie. Um, it is also is a kind of a thriller. Um, the, the plot's not complicated, but I feel like it's well-crafted. I found that it could have been shaved by 10 or 15 minutes. Um, there's a little bit of back and forth between like, um, uh, I don't believe that you're talking to my dead boyfriend, or then I do believe, and then I don't believe, and then we're going here and we're going there. A little bit could have been chopped, but regardless, there's a reason that this movie won Best Original Screenplay uh, for the year it came out, uh, an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay, and uh, an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress to Whoopi Goldberg, as well as tons of other awards. So good film. We all give it a recommend. It is an American classic. And it's kind of one of those great movies that you can watch with a really wide variety of people. It's it's sexy, but it's not like, it's not NC-17. It got an R rating when it originally came out. Not really warranted. It's been bumped down to PG-13 since then. Uh, so you could watch this kind of with anyone and everyone will enjoy it to a certain extent. So that's Ghost. Now we paired it with another movie that has a con artist psychic that turns out to actually have supernatural powers. And it is a supernatural romance called Teen Witch from 1989. I am super excited to talk about this mainly because it means that we've moved past the cursed film Ghost from 1990, which I continually have problems with. Uh, and I still love it but I do have problems with it. So anywho, Teen Witch from 1989. This movie is really contemporary with Ghost. They're in production at the same time uh, and it came out, you know, mere months before Ghost. Yet it severely feels like an 80s movie, whereas Ghost kind of felt a little more contemporary. It holds up better, even with the dated computers and clip of Arsenio Hall still being on TV. Uh, Ghost, I feel like, feels like it could have been a late 90s movie also. You know, we don't have the parachute pants and geometric color um, blocked shirts and clothes that we get in Say by the Bell. But we do get those things in Teen Witch. And we get so many 80s and early 90s staples that, I mean, it just makes my my 80s kid heart melt. Um, rapping white people, bursting out into like choreographed songs with... Um, one piece workout body suits it's a delight and we're going to talk about this criminally unknown under known uh 80s flick so here's the plot uh it is as you might understand by the uh, name teen witch and the font uh in in the title card which is very similar to 1985's uh, michael j fox film teen wolf this movie was uh, made by transworld entertainment as a to be sort of a sequel uh, or rather companion film to Teen Wolf. Uh, but Teen Witch was supposed to be geared towards um, the young teenage girl market. It is uh, directed by Dorian Walker. Uh, Dorian Walker made a good number of, of films um, at the time, mostly as writer, um, but did direct Making the Grade in 84, a few years before, etc. But um, and, and has continued working on and off as a director uh, until I think 2014. Uh, the, it's written by, um, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the names here. I'm still thinking about Ghost, Robin Menken and Vernon Zimmerman. Um, they wrote 
films together as well. Um, they also acted. Uh, Robin was in Spinal Tap uh, and, and High Anxiety, the Mel Brooks film. Uh, and Vernon Zimmerman <laughs> wrote Fade to Black and The Unholy Rollers, which are, I have to say, are actually two of my favorite cult B-movies. Um, also started writing much earlier, wrote Scarface and Aphrodite in 1963, which is an interesting film in and of itself. So there's there's talent behind the camera here. Um, and there's also talent in front of it. There's a pretty interesting cast. Robin Lively, um, still beautiful, plays Louise Miller, the lead. Uh, we have the um, uh, Brad, uh, played by Dan Gaultier. Uh, I believe he still pronounces his name that way, who... Um, I believe played the love interest, if I am not mistaken. Uh, I cannot, I cannot get a contemporary picture. Uh, but we also have Dick Sargent playing uh, Louise's dad, uh, a little bit older, perhaps than than type would really normally allow. Uh, we have two, two count them two veterans of the film, which we covered much earlier in our podcast days. Uh, my mom is a werewolf um those two people being the amazing and much missed um marcia wallace who of course miss krabappel uh from the simpsons and from bob newhart and um uh, another character another actress whose name escapes me tina i believe is her name uh tina caspery there you go who was also in my mom is a werewolf so why am I mentioning that? Well, because my mom is a werewolf and teen witch kind of have some things in common. Um, they're both goofy 80s comedies. The difference is that teen witch is a, a higher cost production and it does have more polish. Um, it really was clear that this was intended to be um, hopefully a hit. I think a lot of people really hoped for it. Um, it did okay. Some people remember it fondly. Uh, more people have forgotten it completely. Now, the plot is actually kind of a lot like Teen Wolf. Um, but the uh, on her 16th birthday, uh, our lead Robin Lively's character uh, finds out from a psychic who is actually mostly just conning people that she is a witch and she has magic powers and this psychic will help her develop them. Now, the psychic is one of the coolest parts of this movie because it's played by Zelda Rubenstein. Of course, Zelda is the uh, very tiny and um, high-pitched voice um, awesome Tangina from the Poltergeist series, um, uh, who, I mean, there are so many famous lines that she has delivered in, in her career that you could, you know, speak whichever one you like best now. And uh, she plays sort of the guiding force in Robin's life as she goes from mousy nobody to super popular girl because of a popularity spell. Uh, of course, it kind of backfires uh, when she loses her friendship with her close dorky friend, who, by the way, she does hella dirty in this movie. And we'll talk about why, or excuse me, how um, her her friend, I, I feel terrible forgetting the actress. Does anybody remember uh, her her friend's name? This is one of the, it's Mandy Ingber. Thank you, Mandy Ingber. She, uh, I remember seeing her last probably in uh, The Relic, um, but she was also, <laughs> she was also in Mr. Mom and she was in Free Enterprise as Munchkin Beth. If anybody is a Star Trek fan and hasn't seen Free Enterprise, please go check that out. Uh, it's the, one of the films that uh, William Shatner refused to be in until they rewrote his character as an asshole and then he would do it. So it's got a fun cast. Um, 
I'm not really going to go into more detail on the plot. Uh, eventually, in the end, our lead character realizes that all of the wishes she's made to control people and do different things are probably not the nicest thing, nor are they making her happy. So she uh, has them undone. And yet she still ends up with the guy. Wow, what a shock. Uh, but the common tropey plot is zero about why this film is so great. Um, I think a huge part of why this film is so great, aside from the fun cast, is the absolute bonkers, unbelievable uh, hip hop done by Noah Blake. Noah Blake plays Rhett, who is uh, the character that Robin Lively's friend has a crush on. And he spends every scene doing the most redonkulous, redonkulous, like early 90s, don't understand hip hop, white guy raps. I mean... It's embarrassing. Like it makes you cringe no matter who you are. You could not understand what hip hop is. And yet somehow this, it will make you cringe. And he commits. He 100% commits. They really do. I would agree with you. Um, I think this would have just been like a kind of ho-hum, whatever, or watching something that feels like very 80s, whatever, without those bits in it. Like those mm -hmm. bits make it worth like watching today. Um, yeah. Because it, it just make it just, brings it to like a level of like ridiculous fun um mm -hmm. they don't it doesn't really come off as being self-aware exactly <laughs> uh mm -hmm. but it, i mean like the dance breaks that they have like in the girls locker room oh my god as well Early as on. this like just Ugh. it's they're just too like too much in a good way um it, 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 it makes the movie i agree with you it's interesting, too, because I feel like this is one of those movies that kind of was maybe a little sexier than I expected to be in certain elements. Um, like, for example, that that scene you're talking about, it's early in the movie. It's it's when we see one of the first times we see Robin at school um, and uh, using her real name, uh, her character, Louise, at school is she's in the locker room and like all of the popular girls like are like oh let's do the dance that we planned and they like somebody hits a boombox and it's a choreographed like jumping from from like locker row to locker row uh bodysuit dance off where like all of these i mean they're not mostly teenagers i'm sure they're mostly in their 20s as most of the cast is um but in these what i found to be quite sexy this is because i'm an i'm an 80s kid but onesie bodysuits uh and and it's just, it's so insane because it's like, it's going to be a musical. Um, but it's not, it's not a musical. It's just this song. Uh, and, and I, I, I lost it every time I see it. I, every time I've seen this movie many times now. And every time I see it, I forget that scene is coming and it slaps me in the face with how insane it is. And I absolutely <laughs> love it. Um, and, and we get, um, we get, there's this i you kind of i have to say so robin lively's character you like her at least i did but there's moments upon the rewatching of this movie over and over again where i realized that i kind of she kind of is a jerk to her friend because she's she's quiet she's a good student she's meek and nerdy um of course it's the whole like oh you're you're she's such a dork and then like take your glasses off shake out your hair oh my god she's a supermodel moment um but she's got like some cute moments with her parents 
for supportive. Uh, and she has like um, this moment where she's going to use a love spell on uh, Brad, her, her, her crush. Who's like the super hot guy who's dating um, the, the super hot girl who I believe is, is named, is it Randa? I believe um, I think she's I think Lisa Fuller plays her and Lisa Fuller, of course, has been uh, in some some big stuff, including Monster Squad from 87. Earth Girls are easy from 88. So she's a big 80s uh, icon, really baby boom. Uh, <clears throat> but she she has her love interest in the room and she's going to do the spell and then she decides she can't. Uh, and but the thing about the scene that's hilarious is that in order to get him onto her bed, which is, by the way, quite forward. I mean, she may be mousy, but she's also thirsty. Uh, she has removed all of the chairs from her room, so there's nowhere else to sit. At which point, he's there to study, and so he keeps asking her, like, "Is there? should I go get some chairs? And she's like, no. And he's like, uh, all the chairs are being reupholstered. And then finally, her little brother, who is a whole conversation in and of himself, uh, played by Joshua John Miller, comes in and is like what happened to all your chairs and she's like oh she's like fine she's like fine and she walks to her closet opens it up and starts taking out the chairs and then looks at her love interest and says don't ask which is cute like i liked i liked her character in those moments i'm gonna give you why she's a jerk because she tries to help her friend out at one point by having her friend do a rap battle. She gives her the power to rap battle, which apparently is a natural thing that witches are able to do without any sort of pre-work. Uh, she makes her friend rap battle with the character Rhett uh, and sort of like then give the smirk and they ride off on their bikes, which is equally embarrassing to the rest of the hip hop scenes in this movie. And I use hip hop uh, under duress. Uh, but then... When she's having the montage, uh, Louise, about being popular, because it's like crazy popular. Like she's happy with it, but like people are outside doing like a candle visual in her front lawn just to say she's great. Um, she's walking through and like everybody's smiling at her. All the guys are smiling. And I noticed this last watch, I in maybe four or five times, I didn't see it until this moment. She walks by and Rhett's character is always wearing a sleeveless wife beater or a zoot suit. Those are his only two modes. She puts her hand on his arm and runs it down his arm as she walks by. And I'm like, that, that is a dirty move because you know your friend likes him. You don't even like him and that doesn't matter. So that really caused me pain uh, in, in the way only a high school, a high school heartbreak could uh, this watch. But I, I've, I've spoken much about this. Um, I haven't mentioned the fact that uh, uh, Psychic Zelda um, has a, a a hopefully consensual relationship with a frog uh that she turns into a man but still speaks like a frog i don't know how consensual that would really be but um i'm glad we didn't have to actually visualize it uh beyond our imaginations though it is a vivid place so jeff i'm gonna guess you haven't seen this movie until this watch what was your expectation going in and what did you get now that you've seen 1989's teen witch well, I like the '80s, so you know I'm always like, you know, up for up for some '80s action. Uh, I thought this was a little little boring. Um, I didn't I didn't like the uh, some of the musical interludes. Some of them were <laughs> like uh, I, I found the the uh, like you said the rap rap elements uh, cringy enough to be funny, but the other ones were just cringy in like the way like oh, I don't I don't want to be here anymore. Um, you know, like for those who are looking for a song named 
I like a boy or, you know, it's just like <laughs> uh, not super clever. Uh, the, you know, the hooks uh, is, uh, is no more clever than the, uh, the lyrics of the, these, these, uh, I don't even know these tunes. Um, so I, I think that I, the thing that I did like about it was it did have like an interesting kind of messaging about controlling people and, and power and, um, uh, you know, like, you know, you, the, the scene you're talking about of like she almost cast like a love spell on him and she's like she's starting to like get the wheels are turning and she's like okay i don't want to control people because then it's not real anymore mm-hmm. um you know like a person that you know has all the power doesn't have a real moment in their life because you know everybody is is just suckling and uh being inauthentic around them um mm-hmm. and uh so i think that this is an interesting theme for back in the eighties. Um, and, uh, I did enjoy that element of it. The, the rest of it was pretty dull for me. Um, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I, maybe it's just cause we've seen this trope so many times. It's so mm-hmm. it's like the love potion and the, uh, you know, the person discovering they have powers mm-hmm. and it just, it's just so, um, so well trodden now we're yep. in the, the you know 2022 here uh there's probably like 15 you know which netflix mini oh geez shows or what you know i mean there's 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 just it's just there's so we're we're in a saturated market so i don't need to go back to 80s to get more of it it is the season of the witch yeah i mean hocus pocus 2 just came out which i have thoughts on um so uh, yeah the music that you mentioned i mean i enjoyed it it is it is b league as far as you know i'm not going to hear it on the radio most likely um but most of the music in fact i believe all the tracks uh sometimes with co-writers were written if not performed by larry weir larry weir um did a lot of of soundtrack work uh, in the 80s and 90s all the way up into the mid 20 2010s um i think his uh i i knew him from return to horror high from 1987 uh, he did some tracks in there so uh cult fans will, will recognize that film name the uh, i think for me you're right everything here nothing here is new but i did like it more than i liked a lot of them i think because it's an easy watch because the production is fairly slick it's clear that they really wanted this to be kind of popular um i also think that robin lively is a good choice for the lead um she she can play young uh although she looks like she's like 20 years the the junior of her love interest in this movie uh although he's only i think in his 20s at this time let's talk about the little brother richie uh played by joshua john miller i'm not sure i understand his inclusion in this film other than everybody assumes that there should be a little girl i mean excuse me a little a little sibling in in a movie especially a movie aimed at teen girls um richie miller is uh he's done a lot of he wrote final girls uh from the final girls from 2015 um he was homer in near dark which is a pretty fantastic uh 80s uh, vampire flick if i say so myself um done a lot of stuff still working and he plays He plays Richie, the chubby, filthy, irritating little brother. Like, there's no nuance to his character. His introduction to us is 
Louise is laying on her bed. I think she's writing in her journal, maybe. I can't remember. And and she hears this slurping, crunching, munching, moving sound and looks under her bed. And Richie is literally eating like a chocolate cake, like with his fingers. And like it's smeared all over the rug, all over like all over the carpet and on his face. And she like chases him out, at which point I mean he's just like throwing cake on the floor as he's like spewing and he's just covered in chocolate i'm like i don't know what human being operates in that way <laughs> um like it was really like he was a feral person uh, it was it was wild and at one point he's turned into a dog uh as, as sort of a punishment by her and and she has to change him back before the parents see i, I mean he's he does a good job in the role but like it was just such a weird role because it was like he was supposed to be there because of the the trope, but not really. They didn't know what to do with him. Um, and then at the end, like she's made him a perfect servant, like she makes him like the perfect kid. It's just she's gone balls to the wall with like just destroying personalities right and left it by the by the end of this movie, uh, which of course she she removes everything, all the all the the curses or charms, whatever you want to call them. Um, Mandy. Uh, I know you said you had a vague recollection of this film as you watched it as though you might have seen it, but what was your expectation going into Teen Witch and what do you feel now that you have watched it? Yeah, I think, I mean, it just felt very 80s. Like you could have, like it could have been any movie. <laughs> um, I had fun watching this. I think it's completely unmemorable. Like after the fact, like I, you mentioned being surprised by certain scenes, like on a rewatch, I think I'd be surprised by like the whole thing on a rewatch. Yeah. Um, it's just, it was like it almost felt like a really long episode of Saved by the Bell, like kind of because it was <laughs> yeah. so tropey and like unoriginal. Um, I get a real kick about out of the little brother that he was <laughs> hilarious. I actually looked up um the actor who played him. Like I was like, wow, like who is this person? Like this is yeah. insane. <laughs> And he's been like, in a, he's been in a lot like he's kind of recognizable like, like him cooking dinner like you didn't mention that like what before she turns him into the dog like he's just in the kitchen like and every surface is like covered with tomato sauce and like it's just ridiculous um i, I kind of like that they went there with it like like we don't know what to do so like let's just make it the most ridiculous we can yeah I think is what they were doing uh it, i don't know um just i i have been um a former teenage girl i have a soft spot for these movies uh where you know women come into their power because it is like a theme that i think that we don't talk about enough in how it is kind of like important and underlying in a lot of just development for girls like at mm -hmm. this age um it's you know, it's not just like ooh, witches, like it really is kind of like a deeper uh, sense, like or representing like a deeper sense of like trying to find yourself, find where your power, you know, what it, you know, where your power mm -hmm. lies um, from a feminine perspective. And I think that that's kind of why these storylines are visited over and over and over and over again, um, mm -hmm. especially like, I mean, in most human culture, women don't have a lot of power um mm -hmm. as you transition from a child to an adult like you it's you really realize that i mean mm -hmm. there's like a lot of fantasy like it, it you know i wish it wasn't that way like i wish i could snap my fingers and like my life would be way better and like i could mm -hmm. make people do the things i want them to do um and i think that that's kind of why these are really like 
so popular and why we don't see them going away like through different like phases of like different other cultural elements um, yeah we see. so yeah you know i got like a soft spot for that but it's no craft for sure 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 uh <laughs> it's i'll say it's a lot better than the craft legacy i know some people love that but go listen to my mini review from from back in the day it, it was not I not for me even watch craft legacy but, um, uh, maybe, but if you want to chat about Hocus Pocus 2, um, we can do that. All um, right. We'll, we'll have to do that. that one as well. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, no, so I have a soft spot for it in that way. But I think, again, like it'd be completely unmemorable. Like the way that it's done, there's really nothing that like speaks beyond like very basic, like parable kind yeah. of messaging. Um, the opening scene may be very uncomfortable. Like, oh, where right. She's, like all dressed up like a hooker or it's something. Like, it's and... she's like dreaming about her her bow, but we don't know that yet. Yeah. She's in, yeah, like this red shoe diaries, like red yeah. slip, and like on top of a rooftop. It's like from the mm-hmm. 80s dance movie Rooftops. Yeah. Like very... and, and and the wind is blowing and like the sexy sax music, and she's like ducking around the corner as like uh-huh. she's being like pursued by the sexy hunk and like a tight, you know, it's very it's very footloose by way of showtime after dark. And I, um, and from a cine, like a, like a film filming perspective, filmography, whatever, I don't know what you'd, I, I should know these things. We're on like a film podcast. I should filmic, know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I don't know from a filming perspective, like just the, um, they tried to do some stuff with the shadows of mm. the, of the two people interacting. And I feel like they missed a little bit. Like there, yeah. there was some cool stuff going on, but it wasn't quite fully realized. And that was kind of like, I don't know. I was just like, okay, so don't exactly like it, this could have been cool, but it's just kind of not uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> like they kind of half made it there. But yeah, also just like she wakes up and you're like, oh, she's like not an adult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, she, you know, at the, at the, at the time of this movie's release, um, she was she was only 17. Uh, so she actually is like, I think I want to say like d- over a decade younger than than her love interest actor in this movie. So she actually she's one of the few people that looks the appropriate age. Her and her friend Mandy Ingbar both look their the age of the characters they're supposed to be playing. So when they're put opposite people that are much older, uh, it does show. Um, I. I want to just before I forget to, because I will do that. Karen Kay plays her mother opposite Dick Sargent as the father. Karen Kay, listeners may not recognize her name. She's done a lot of acting. Um, and this is what is most interesting is that her, she was in uh, Pumpkinhead 2, if anybody has watched that. But she also was in what many consider to be the last directorial feature from famed uh 50s and 60s science fiction and horror director Bert I. Gordon, director and producer. Um, he did make a film, A Secrets of a Psychopath, in 2015, but his his main run ended in 1989 with Satan's Princess, also out um, the same year as um, as the the film Teen Wolf, uh, Teen Witch, not Teen Wolf, Teen Witch that we're talking about. Bert I. Gordon, of course, did Attack of the Puppet People, The Amazing Colossal Man, uh, lots of mystery science theater films, King Dinosaur, The Magic Sword. Uh, but he also did Village of, the Di- Village of the Giants in 1965, which is a pretty great 50s like melding of sci-fi and beach romp uh, and, and sort of teens gone wild. Uh, so check those out if you're interested in that because she, Karen Kay, is a 
a staple of the cult industry during that era. I, I want to say there's an interesting play. When we think of a movie as being forgettable, often we think it's not good. And, and that is often true. Um, if it's really bad, we'll remember it. Or if it's really good, we'll remember it. But if it's forgettable, what's the point, right? But the reality is, is every time I watch this movie, even though I know all of the beats, as has been mentioned, the forgettable like nature of it actually somehow helps it for me because I actually can watch it and sincerely be entertained every single time. Um, because those moments that are just completely unmotivated, like the locker room dance scene or um, the the three man barbershop hip hop uh, elements, like they really are. They get me to from point A to point B painlessly. Uh, I mean, cringing pain, sure, but I'm not bored. Uh, there's some, there's another scene I want to talk about as talking about cringy because of weird sexual moments. There's the, the teacher, which, uh, runs afoul of, of Luis, uh, played by character actor who passed away in 2017, Shelly Berman. Uh, he was in Curb Your Enthusiasm a bit. Um, I, I don't know his last, his last performance in a film might've been don't mess with the Zohan or you don't mess with the Zohan. So, um, uh, you know, who knows? He's he's done some others in there as well, but that might be the last big one he did. Uh, he plays the the teacher who catch who like grabs. Uh, oh, oh, he reads aloud a diary entry uh, of a of a sexy poem that Louise accidentally turned uh, was writing in her in her notebook or something. He grabs it and reads it and and embarrasses her in front of the whole class. Uh, and so, which is pretty shitty. And also I think could get you fired at a certain today. I think that would be a, a big issue uh, to read a, a, a sort of erotic poem that a student has written about another student in the class. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty rough. Um, and her payback to him is that she makes him strip down to his underwear in the middle of a class while he's giving a lecture, at which point he is placed on leave. That might be the most uh, realistic thing, too, is that he's not actually fired because he's probably, you know, he's, he's probably in some sort of tenure position at this particular school. Uh, so he's probably just sent to the rubber room. Uh, he's back at he's back, I think, at the end, by the end of the film. But having an adult strip down to their underwear in the middle of a class of purported teenagers, that's weird. That's a weird moment. Um, it, it was especially really it, uncomfortable it was and not only does he strip naked but then like he goes home after he's sent he's sent away and like he walks through a car wash yeah I mean, that was funny it was that funny was, and i was just was like funny. i was just like this is a weird because the moment. mother put the doll like in, in the washing, the washing machine. machine yeah which also <laughs> didn't make any sense no like, no she spent so, so much time on this and now it's all messed up throw it in the wash i'm like what what is happening uh she took the pins out first i guess there weren't any pins in it but uh yeah no it was real weird uh it was a real weird moment um I, i'm not against it because it's such a weird moment that it's it's something that i thought about for a long time thereafter there's also and this was to go along with sort of the uncomfortable sexiness of the opening dream sequence uh which is just sexy and like it's it's presentation because there's no nudity or anything like that um it's just it feels like it's supposed to be a sexual moment uh like i said red shoe diaries showtime after dark vibe we get like she's she hasn't done the um she hasn't done the love spell but she did do a popularity spell and so she's still like getting the attention from this 
this guy whose girlfriend is still exists uh and she goes with him to an abandoned house and like a music montage and then they lay down and like the the dialogue later kind of puts it down like they were just making out but they clearly had sex in an abandoned building like that's very clear um to me anyway <laughs> and and i was like I that is... what else you do in an abandoned yeah and laying down on the ground in an abandoned building so like I, i'm like that was pretty extreme I, I don't know most of these movies tend to stop before the having sex with the charmed person um but not this one and i thought that was interesting that they decided to go there it's like they played with like how old they wanted this movie to be targeted for uh and and couldn't decide if it was really going to be like the tweens and early teens or if it was going to be like late teens so i'm not sure but that surprised me and then at the end uh the she gets together with the the boy after all the charms have been removed um and still his girlfriend who as far as we know is only crime has been 80s hot like that's her only crime is just being hot and popular in the 80s uh he just like completely just blows her off and ignores her we don't know what's happening and that's going to be awkward because she lives directly across the street from louise like directly across the street like they open their doors and they're looking eye to eye um so that's got to be a real weird uncomfortable morning commute every day uh so anyway but this is an interesting movie um we'll move to our recommendations here and wrap this up because uh as i said this has been a cursed episode and things are going good right now don't want anything to go wrong so uh thank you for listening so far to our halloween is for lovers do i recommend teen witch 1989 if you like 80s vibe movies hell yes this is actually probably perfect for a get together with a bunch of your friends having dinner or a beer party or whatever beer and pizza and having an 80s themed night i think this would be good because there's wacky moments super embarrassing white rapping um that that no one would claim um uh as as legitimate legitimate music goofy dance montages goofy 80s um uh like romantic longings uh, characters are uh, blinked into oblivion or ignored and never appear again. That's something as well. And uh, you get a little brother who's constantly covered with what looks like feces. Anyway, uh, it's chocolate, guys. But I recommend that. If you're not into that, if you don't like 80s movies, if you don't like tropey movies, then you're not going to enjoy this, most likely. Um, but if you're a fan of Teen Wolf, I do recommend watching this. Not because they're particularly similar, but because it's really cool to see what was intended as a partner film aimed at uh girls so um and i actually this is blasphemy i actually kind of enjoy this one more than teen wolf i've seen them both i mean teen wolf has its merits uh, i love michael j fox but this one i just it just it does all of the really dumb things that we did in the 80s movies it does them over and over again pretty well uh so i recommend it uh jeff would you recommend 1989's teen witch if so why and to who uh i wouldn't i'm not a teen girl it wasn't made for me. I didn't really find anything in here, but I think that's good. Like I didn't like Prevenge because it, was, it wasn't for me. Um, I think it's good when arts like that. You know, I, there's art that I like that not many other people like, and that's great. Um, so maybe I'll defer to my sister. Uh, she may have a more interesting uh, and more valid uh, kind of opinion and recommendation on this one. All right. Like, yeah, <laughs> just jump in do it what what do you recommend teen witch mandy if so why and to who i think i'd recommend it under similar circumstances to what you just said nate um 
I would not go so far as the Teen Wolf one because I wasn't a fan of Teen Wolf. But def- this is definitely like a party movie. This is the like enjoy it with your friends who like 80s stuff movie. Um, and, and in that sense, it'll be a good time. Maybe, maybe you watch it on your own just because you love that kind of stuff. Um, or you're a big fan of like teenage witch movies. Um, it, you know, it, it will delight you, I think. Uh, but it, you know, it's not anything super special. Fair enough. I think we all kind of agree even with the the differences and recommendations. Uh, so that has been it for this episode, double feature, single episode <laughs> of, of Halloween is for Lovers. And uh, thank you to my guest, Jeff Tucker, Mandy Longley. And thank you listeners. Please rate us all the stars, highest ratings, wherever you get your podcast, leave a review uh, and rate us high. And please, please, please tell your friends because they should know what you're listening to and that way they can judge you in private i'm just kidding but do tell your friends and uh join us next week for another episode of cult and classic films podcast please listen to the end credits can you tell that this has been going on a long time and we've recorded a lot that wasn't recorded and my brain is melted uh i hope so because that shows that i love you all thank you so much and to play us out as always is the chud with all about evil Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Cult and Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights, privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit cultandclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.